Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Those of you who have your Bibles here, you can open with me at Acts chapter 2. So, the last couple of weeks, I started actually on the 5th, um, talking about habits. uh, And particularly, looking at um, at Acts chapter 2 verse 42, and looking at a couple of habits, uh, discussing a couple of habits from that verse. And Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we were talking about on, uh, on the 5th of January, we spoke about a habit of learning. Uh, firstly, I mean, when he talks about the apostles' doctrine, uh, when he talks about they devoted themselves, it means they continually devoted themselves. So it implies a habit. And, and, and we were saying that, that so often in the beginning of the year we make New Year's resolutions, we try to change, but we often don't, I mean, by mid-February, 80% of people have, you know, thrown out their New Year's resolutions. They're no longer even trying them because they, they try and change their behavior. We often try and change our behavior, but without changing our habits. We don't incorporate those new behaviors as habits in our lives. Uh, now, the, the early church had, a ha- had habits of, Learning the apostles' doctrine, in other words, a habit of learning. Uh, then uh, our fellowship, in other words, hab- habit of, of being together. A uh, habit of, of eating and remembering together, that's breaking of bread. And then a uh, habit of prayers, in other words, praying together. And that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning. But I, I just want to say a few more things about habits, because I, I really think this is a powerful concept. Last week I, I shared how, how habits are, how we move from you know, unconscious incompetence when we don't know about something, like you don't even know about riding a bike, to, to conscious incompetence where you know you've seen someone ride a bike but you can't ride it, uh, to conscious competence where you can ride a bike but you really have to concentrate. Um, I remember when I was small, my, my dad and them always remind me of this. I had a little blue, dark blue bicycle, but a small one. I was probably four years old or so with little white wheels, and we had a tennis court, and I was trying to learn to ride on this tennis court. Uh, and I was pedaling this bike, and, and my mom and dad and brothers were all sort of standing around cheering and screaming at me, and I was saying, shut up, I'm concentrating. <laughs> Just like, like a, only a four-year-old can. Uh, but, but you get to that place of conscious competence. You, you can do it, but you have to concentrate. <laughs> but then if, if you keep on going, you eventually get to the place of unconscious competence, where you can do something without even thinking about it. And that's pretty much the definition of a habit. A habit is something that you've done so many times that you don't really have to think about doing it. You do it automatically without thinking about it, sort of on autopilot. And um, in that sense, discipleship is getting to the place where we habitually do what Jesus would have done the way Jesus would have done it. So a big part of discipleship, therefore, is learning new habits, getting rid of old, wrong habits, and replacing them with new, right habits. And, you know, I just want to say that small habits make a big difference. Small habits really make a big difference. And, and the reason for that is because habits are cumulative. Th- think about it. Just, I mean, it's, it's quite obvious, but, but let me state the obvious just to, to show you the power of even small habits. The difference between, say, having a habit of, you know, eating a donut every day or having the habit of eating salad every day. 
I mean, you eat a donut or you eat salad, you go and look in the mirror, you look exactly the same. There's no observable change at the end of the day. Next day, you eat a, a donut, you know, someone else eats a salad, you go and look in the mirror, you still look the same. You, you don't see the difference. But after five or ten years <laughs> of every day eating a donut instead of salad, you're going to see the difference, <laughs> right? Because the effect of that very small habit is cumulative. It builds up over time. Okay? But, 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 but not only that, if you think about it carefully, small habits have a disproportionate effect. Okay? Just, just let me give you one example, which my wife is going to say, mm-hmm, you know. <laughs> if you have a habit of taking your phone out of your pocket... Now, that's a very small habit. Taking your phone out of your pocket is a bit, You know, and, and habits, uh, I'll talk about this in a moment, but habits have cues. In other words, that's the thing that triggers the habit. So your, your, your cue might be, I'm bored. When you say, like, I'm bored, you feel like I'm bored, you develop eventually the habit of sticking your hand into your pocket and taking out your phone. Now, that's a very small habit. That you do it in, in a few seconds, Okay. And you might consciously decide what you're going to do on your phone. You know, whether you're going to go onto Facebook, whether you're going to check your mails, whether you're going to play a game, you know, whether you're going to read a book, whatever you're going to do, you might consciously decide it. But whatever you decide has been determined, or whatever you can decide to do has been determined by that habit of taking the phone out of your pocket. Because whatever you're going to do after that, you're going to do on your phone. So can you see that small habit of taking your phone out of your pocket has a disproportionate effect? In other words, it doesn't only, it, 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 it determines how you spend the next half an hour or even hour or two hours. Can you see that? And, and, and that's why small habits make a deep, big difference. And like I said to you last time, so often when we want to change and when we're thinking about New Year's resolutions and changing and growing, which is good, we want to change, we want to grow, okay? We so often think of the product and not of the process, Okay? When we set goals or when we you know, sort of write down New Year's resolutions, okay, we write down um, goals. We, we write down product resolutions. This is the product I want. This is the goal I'm aiming for. Okay? We, 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 don't, we, we often don't think about the process. Now, I just want to... Um, there's, a, there's a very good book um, I can recommend. I haven't read the whole one. But it's, it's a book by a guy called James Clear called Atomic Habits. Uh, has anyone ever read it, Atomic Habits? You actually read it, okay. And he has some very good things to say about habits. Um, and one of the things he says, and, and this is, I like it because it's, it's really blunt, but also very powerful. He says, winners and losers have the same goals, but vastly different results. We don't have goal problems. We, we have system problems. You don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And what he means by systems, he says systems, a system is a collection of habits, processes, and behaviors that prepare you and enable you to reach your goals. Now, now think about that for a moment. What would be the difference you know, of saying, okay, I want to lose 10 kilograms, a product, sort of resolution or goal, and... I want to become a healthy, I want to become a person who eats and healthy and exercises. Now, 
here's the thing. If you focus only on the goal, most people, they found, even in sports, science and sports psychology, people who focus mostly on the goal usually fail. I mean, that's not what we've been told. You must have a goal. You must focus on the goal. And, so on. and, and yes, know, know about your goal. But, but think about this. If you were playing tennis, your goal is to have the, the best score on the board at the end of the match. But if you play tennis constantly keeping your eyes on the scoreboard, at the end of the match you won't have the best score on the board. So it's great to have goals. You know, what, I'm, uh, what, what James Clear uh, says is that goals are necessary but not sufficient. You need goals, but you cannot focus mostly on your goals. What you need to mostly focus is not the product, your goals, but the process, the system, the collection of habits, behaviors, and, and so on that allow you to reach your goals. Okay? Anyways, the best teams focus not on what they want to accomplish, but what they need to do in order to accomplish it. And that's where we as Christians should focus as well. That's where the early church focused. They devoted themselves not to some other goal of achieving something, but to a goal of becoming someone that is devoted to the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayers. And, and, and we should do likewise. Um, then I just want you to think about another thing in terms of habits. Um, and, and, and this is once again something we know, uh, but we often stumble over this reality. When it comes to bad habits, the, with any habit, it has a price and a prize. The price you pay, uh, you pay is, is what you say no to and, and what you sacrifice in order to have it. You know, the discipline or whatever. The prize is, uh, you know, what you get for it. Let me, let me put it this way. Bad habits, the prize is in the present and the price is in the future. So if we go back to our habit of eating donuts every day, okay, the prize, the benefit is in the now. You eat that donut, it's sweet, it tastes nice, you feel lacquer. So you get the benefit now, but you pay the price later. Okay? With good habits, it's the opposite. Usually, the price that you have to pay is in the present and the benefit is only in the future. And that's why it's often so much easier to develop bad habits than good habits. Because in order, bad habits, usually it's immediate gratification. With good habits, it's delayed gratification. And you have to delay your gratification you have to pay the price now so you can get the prize later. You have to put in the effort, make the sacrifice now so you can get the benefit later. Which means that if we, at the end of this year, the end of 2020, we want to be people who are more godly, then at the beginning of this year, of 2020, we need to become people who spend more time with God in prayer. So... In that light, we're going to look at um, habits of prayer. And I'm, I'm not going to say everything there is to say about prayer. I'm just going to say a few things that I hope will be helpful to you. But I just want you to remember that in the same book, when we were reading um, Acts 2, verse 42 and, and, and onwards, uh, Luke, 
who wrote the gospel of uh, is the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. And in Luke 5 or 16, he says, and Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. In other words, when we are developing habits of prayer, we are emulating, imitating, following our Lord and Savior Jesus because he had habits of regularly withdrawing and praying. So let's, let's just look at prayer. I'm, going, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Acts 2 verse 42 onwards. Um, and then later on I'm going to read a couple of verses from Acts 4. So it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Uh, and all uh, and came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, them, uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So one thing I want you to see, and I particularly want to focus there on on, on chapter 3, verse verse 1, is... Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer. It tells us two things. Firstly, it means they were praying together. They were prayer buddies. Peter and John were prayer buddies. Okay? So, so often we fail in our New Year's resolutions. We fail in our um, attempts to grow and change and become more godly, to, to grow as disciples because we try and do it alone. We were never designed to, to do it alone. God didn't intend for us to do it alone. That's why there's the church. That's why we have one another. That's why Jesus saves not just individuals, but communities. Saves individuals into communities. Okay? So here's my question. Who's your prayer buddy? Do you have a prayer buddy? Like Peter had? Like John had? Someone that you on a regular basis can get together with and pray with? Remember two weeks ago I said you must text someone and tell them you're gonna, you want to read the Bible more often? You know? Well, that can be your prayer buddy as well. Tell them you don't know, want to read the Bible more often, you want to pray more often. You want to pray with them. If we're going to learn, we, we learn so much better together than we learn by ourselves. Okay? And therefore I want to encourage you. In fact, if, you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down someone's name. If you don't have already have a prayer buddy, I want you to write down someone's name who can be your prayer buddy. Someone that you can talk to and say, I want to get together with you on a regular basis and pray. And, and in fact, what I would recommend is that in the beginning, because in order to establish a habit, it takes time. You have to do it regularly. And the more regularly and the more consistently you do it, the more easy you're going to establish that habit. So I, I want to recommend sort of a, um, a habit for you um, I want to recommend, and, and, and we're going we're to see it play out in the scripture that we're going to read in a moment. I want to recommend that you read scripture, that you then meditate on the scripture that you've read. Like Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord. Okay, meditate on scripture. Now, it's not Eastern meditation, but biblical meditation, which, you know, the East stole from the Bible. <laughs> 
not emptying your mind, but filling your mind with Scripture. And then, so, so you read Scripture, you meditate on that Scripture, and then you pray about the Scripture you meditated on. And then you go out and obey. So read, meditate, pray, obey. Very simple. But do that with someone. Tell someone, for the next month, or even two, I'm going to do this every day. I want, uh, uh, you know, are you willing to do it with me? And then, do what Peter and John did. I mean, one of the times, when did Peter and John pray? I mean, one of the times they prayed was at specific times. It says they went to the temple at the time of prayer. There was a specific time for prayer that had been set out. And if, if you want to establish habits, especially something like praying, then you at least need a time to do it. Yes, you're going to pray, as we're going to see, they also prayed at times that were not scheduled, but you need specific scheduled times to pray. So set a time when you're not going to be tired, give God the best time of your day, when you're not going to be interrupted, when you're at your freshest, and when your buddy is available, (laughs) and you guys can pray together. Or at least, if you guys can't pray at the same time, then say, okay, we're going to pray, and then we're going to phone one another sometime during the day, and just be accountable and say, okay, how did your prayer time go? Oh, you know, actually it didn't go. You know, I pressed the snooze button. Eesh, you know, my old habit kicked in and I pressed the snooze button. Uh, tomorrow, okay, tomorrow morning I'm going to phone you. <laughs> you know, you know if, if, your, if your alarm goes off at half past five, I'm going to call you just after your alarm goes off and, and make sure you actually didn't, you know, revert to the old habit, you know, of the arm swinging, you know, and doof, you know switching off, <laughs> pressing the snooze button. Then we also see, and let me just read this from the next verses. Uh, Acts 4 from verse 23 says, uh, when they were released. Now what happened was after this, this, they were going to pray and there was a guy who was lame from birth and uh, God used them to heal this guy. And he was running with them into the temple and everyone was like gathering around like, what's going on? We know this guy, he's been begging at the, the, the temple gates for decades and now here he is walking and dancing and going crazy and Peter starts preaching and in the temple and, and you know obviously the Pharisees and Sadducees and the members of Sanhedrin you know uh, start getting their backs up and getting upset and they sort of you know bring them in and eventually they threaten them I think they flog them and then threaten them and say you may not preach in this name in the name of Jesus and, and, and these verses sort of follow just after that and it says when they were released they went to their friends. Now, it's, it's interesting. Uh, what it says there is they went to their own, literally, in the Greek. They went to their own, their own people. I believe this was Peter and John's small group. So they had a specific, they, what, was, what they considered their people in the church. Okay? Their, their own, their, their very own small group. And think about this. If Peter and John were apostles who walked with Jesus needed a small group, then so do we. Okay. So upon release, they went to their own, to their friends, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, uh, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, 
along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant it to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Powerful. So, so in the previous verse, in chapter 3 verse 1, we saw scheduled times of prayer and here we see unscheduled times of prayer. They'd just been released. It's, it was probably in the evening somewhere. They went straight to, you know, the people were in their small group, and they said, this is what happened to us. We got flogged. We got threatened. Actually, we were a bit afraid. And the other guy's like, oh, us too, you know. <laughs> you won't ask for boldness if you're not afraid, if, you, if you're sort of not tempted to not have boldness. And how do they respond? They pray. They pray. So, so one thing I want you to see here is that Prayer had become such a habit in the early church that that was, as it were, their knee-jerk reaction. Think about that for a moment. That's really powerful. If prayer becomes such a habit in your life that you almost automatically pray, where almost every, anything that happens to you triggers prayer in your life, imagine how your life would be then. Because that's where they were. Now, I just want to share this with you, and yes, some... Some more of that. Um, some of you might know this. How a how a habit works. Okay, so a habit sort of has four steps. Okay, this is this is um, what's the guy's name? Charles Duhigg. He writes a book, The Power of Habit, and, and he writes about this in, in detail. So any habit has a cue. Sorry, I'm writing quite ugly. A cue, <laughs> uh, and then a craving. That trigger, a cue that triggers a, triggers a craving, that triggers a routine, uh, which leads to a reward. Okay, so there's some other cue, and I'm going to say something about the cues in a moment. Um, and that cue causes you to crave a certain reward. Okay, so you think about the reward. You crave it, and that craving drives a routine, which is like the guts of the habit, the actual performance of the habit, the routine. And then when you're done with the routine, you get the reward. Okay, so our infamous habit of eating donuts. Uh, we get hungry. That's maybe the cue. We feel hungry. We grab a donut. Go, go wherever we, we stash our donuts. We <laughs> grab a donut. Uh, we eat it, and... You know, our craving for donuts, sweetness, or whatever it is, is fulfilled. Um, and uh, here's the thing. Uh, you get different kinds of cues. Um, you get time. Your, 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 your habit might be triggered by a certain time of the day. Okay? Like Peter and John's habit to pray was triggered at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It might be place. When you're at a certain place, then a certain habit is triggered. At work, or at small group, or wherever. Um, it might be um, other people. You know, the people that you're around often trigger certain habits in your life. Um, it might be the, say, preceding event, or it might be your emotional state. Okay, so. 
let me give you another example just to show you how this works. Um, this one lady calls into the to the radio, you know, to speak to you know whoever the finance guru is, and says, "Listen, I have a problem. I buy shoes, but like lots of shoes." <laughs> Any ladies that can relate to that one? <laughs> and, and, and this guy says, I mean, how, how many shoes do you buy? What, what are we talking about? You know, like half a dozen, dozen. So like, no, 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 no. More than that. When, when I open my cupboard, they fall on me. <laughs> That's how many shoes I buy. And he says, well, you know, when do you usually buy shoes? And she thought for it for a moment and she said, you know, most of the time, actually, now that I think about it, I buy shoes just after I drop my kids off at my husband. You know, we, we, we divorced and, and we sort of share, we have shared custody. So whenever I, I go and drop off my kids at my husband, I drive to the shop and I buy a pair of shoes. You, you see what's going on? Her, a few different cues, and that's what often happens with habits. A few different cues will trigger a certain habit. Her emotional state, because maybe the divorce was really odd. I mean, probably, you know, there's probably a fight for custody, probably a lot of bad emotions, bad feelings between her and her husband. So, um, you know, her emotional state's bad. Her husband is the other person that triggers it. And the preceding event is dropping off her kids at her husband and having contact with her husband. She feels bad. She does retail therapy. She goes to the shops (laughs) and she buys a pair of shoes to make herself feel better, which is the reward. Okay. Now, notice that, that Peter and John and the, and the, the apostles had, I mean, the, the text actually shows us different cues, you know, that, that happened to them. So, so at a certain time, the time of prayer, time triggered, they go and pray. Then um, there was another cue, a preceding event, something bad happened to them. What did they do? They immediately, upon release from being flogged and threatened and all that, they immediately go to their small group, they tell them what happened, and they pray about it. In other words, the preceding events of suffering caused them to pray. That was the cue. Those were the cues. In other words, they had multiple cues that triggered the habit of prayer in their lives. And that's why they devoted themselves to prayer. That's why they prayed all the time. Now, all of these, time, place, other people, preceding events, emotional state, all of that we can and should use as triggers for prayer. Imagine how your life will be if if you're happy, you pray, and you praise God. If you're sad, you pray, and you call out to God. At certain times in the day and in the week, you pray, and you call out to God. When you're with certain people, you pray, and you call out to God. So, scheduled prayer and unscheduled prayer. And I I like that, that sentence that says, they lifted up their voices together to God, saying, and then they start praying. And uh, the translation there is a little bit watered down because when it says together, the word together there is not just our English word together. It's, it's in one mind and in one purpose. They lifted up their voices in one mind and in one purpose and prayed uh, together. So what I want to say, uh, ask you is, have you trained yourself in prayer so that prayer becomes a knee-jerk reaction in your life? I'm, I'm not there yet. So maybe I should ask us, and probably very few of us are there, but maybe I should ask us, what are we doing in order to train ourselves to make prayer a knee-jerk reaction in our lives? One of the things I want to suggest is start with your body. Habits often develop easier when you start small. So, so often we think, okay, I want to develop a habit of prayer. Okay, I must at least put out an hour to pray. Now, 
by all means, you know, if you're praying an hour, you're doing well. But probably if you're not praying every day, first learn to pray every day before you try and pray an hour every day. Okay? It's, it's like jogging, you know. If, if you're going to learn to jog and get fit, you know, it, it doesn't help you going to say, I'm going to jog an hour every day. You know, you're going to do it for one day, and then on the second day you're going to be so stiff, you might go out and then you're like, okay, that's it. I'm done. This doesn't work for me. You know, my body and jogging are not made for each other. And, um, you know, then you're going to start quoting scriptures like, you know, just, just the ungodly run when, when they're not being chased, you know. <laughs> you know, sort of justifying your lack of jogging from scripture, you know. <laughs> Better to start small and say, okay, I'm going to jog for 15 minutes or even 10 minutes, just around the block once or twice. And I'm, but I'm going to do it every day. And once you're doing it every day, if you've, you've jogged for 10 minutes every day for, for a whole month, then you can start jogging for 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes every day, and you can increase it. But first establish the habit before you try and make it a big habit. Habits are easier to establish when they're small habits. Okay? So I want to recommend get a buddy, a prayer buddy, and start small, but be consistent. Establish there's a habit in your life first, and then grow the scope of the habit. Okay? Um, another thing is, um, notice what they prayed. It's really interesting. They prayed Scripture. And, and that's where what, what uh, Izan was saying comes in. And it, it's a quote from uh, Tim Keller's book on prayer. He says, actually, he actually quotes someone else. He quotes Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message. Uh, he passed away recently, I think in the last year or so. Yeah, he actually, I think he passed away. But, but he wrote the message, but he wrote another book on the Psalms called Answering God. And in that book he says, a very good book, he says, um, prayer is not so much talking to God as answering God. And, and from that, uh, Keller says that prayer, and this is his definition, and maybe this is the definition of prayer you can you can write down, prayer is the continuation of a conversation started by God. Now, prayer is not so much talking to God as answering God, responding to what God has already said to us. Prayer is not a monologue from us to God. Prayer is a dialogue between us and God. Prayer is the continuation of a conversation started by God. In other words, that, that means God wants to speak to us and God has spoken to us. And when we read scripture, we recognize that God has spoken to us and we respond to that. We answer him. We continue the conversation that he's having with us. And that's what the early church did. And that's why they devoted themselves not only to prayers, but to the apostles' doctrine. So that they can answer God. So they could speak to God and have that conversation, that dialogue uh, with God. Um, and then also, notice how they prayed uh, to God as he revealed himself in Scripture. So, but, but, but they knew, they clearly knew Scripture and they knew how to apply Scripture to their specific need. I mean, what was their need in that moment after they'd been released? They'd just been flogged, they'd just been threatened by the, by the Jewish Sanhedrin, the lead, their leaders, to not preach in the name of Jesus. What were they feeling? Probably fear. Well, at least, there were probably more things that they were feeling, but at least they were probably feeling fear. Okay? And, and you don't tend to ask for boldness unless you're tempted not to have it. <laughs> okay? So, so they probably had fear. So, so they, they were sort of, they knew Scripture enough to say, okay, our need is we have fear at the moment. What does Scripture say to us? And, and notice how they start speaking. They, they say, Sovereign Lord, uh, who made the heaven and the earth, 
and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they address God as sovereign Lord. In other words, they address him as you're in control. Yes, we're being threatened by leaders, but you are sovereign Lord. You're above those leaders, number one. And number two, you are in control, even of those leaders. Can you see where they say that later in the scripture? In verse 28, they say, you know, the the leaders, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the Jews, uh, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they are so confident in God's sovereignty that they say that even those who don't want to serve you end up serving you. Now, now Charles Spurgeon says this well. I don't want to make too much of a deal, deal about this, but I just feel like to say this. He says, we all end up serving God, but it matters to us whether we serve him like Judas or like John. Okay, so do with that as you like. But what they recognize is that both Judas and John were serving God. God ultimately. By betraying Jesus, Judas was serving God's purposes. By crucifying Jesus, by by putting, by murdering, this is the greatest sin in history, by murdering the innocent, righteous son of God, the Jewish leaders and the Gentiles ended up doing whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. And they were praying that and they were basically praying it into their hearts and saying, in light of this, that God is the sovereign Lord, that he's so much in control, what do we have to be afraid of? They applied the word of God to their hearts in prayer. And we would do well to do the same. So so they did exactly what I was suggesting. Read the Bible, meditate on it, pray it, and obey it. It's that simple. Um, and if we if we know scripture and we develop a habit not only of reading scripture and meditating on scripture but of praying scripture then we will be able to be the same kind of church that the early church was and have the same kind of effect on society that the early church had Um, and then how did God respond finally Sorry, I'm not, saying everything, I'm not by any means saying everything that needs to be said about this text and about prayer, but I'm hoping some of what I'm saying is really helping you to understand how powerful, how important prayer is, and, and especially developing a habit of pray, prayer. Um, how does God respond? It says, <clears throat> uh, just in that lo- those last verses, verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed. So God waited to respond until after they had prayed, which implies God listened to their prayers. Think about this for a moment. Just, just, just think about this for a moment. Do you try and listen to God? <clears throat> do you always get it right? How well do you think you listen to God? None of us perfectly, right? Here's the good news. God listens to you much better than you listen to him. God listens to you much better than you listen to him. Even though he's God and we are not, we don't, we, we're supposed to listen to him, and we often don't. But he listens to us perfectly every time. 
perfectly. Even when he doesn't give us what we ask for. I mean, thank God, actually, that he doesn't give us, always give us what we ask for. Right? Who have you prayed for spouses that you're now glad you're not married to? <laughs> Imagine if God every time gave you what you asked for. Your life would be a mess. I mean, those of you who have kids, do you always give your kid what they ask for? Oh, daddy, daddy, I want a donut. Oh, yes, yeah, have a donut. Oh, I have one too. Because that's my habit. You know? No, no, you don't. But what do you do when your kid asks for a donut, you know, just before lunchtime? What do you do? You don't give them a donut. But, you know, or, or say it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They already had lunch at, say, 12. You know, they're only going to have, you know, supper at 5 or 6. You know, it's 3 o'clock. Oh, I'm, you know, I want a donut. You, you don't give them the donut, but you try and discern the need that they're trying to meet, the legitimate need that they're trying to meet in an illegitimate way with the donut. You say, okay, well, you're clearly hungry. Have an apple. So often that's what God says to us. Oh God, please give me a donut. No. <laughs> God doesn't answer my prayer. No, no is an answer. Okay? God says no, but then he says have an apple. In other words, he gives you not what you want, but what you need. Okay, but, but God listens to us. I think that is so encouraging. To me, that is so encouraging. That God actually listens to us. God listens to me. Then it says, uh, God shook the building. <laughs> God shook the building. And then it says, and they were all filled with the Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God boldly. Now, I'm not sure... Sort of how, how around I need to say this. When does something shake? A building or the ground or something shake? Usually something shakes when something of greater substance and greater power comes into contact with it. You know? If you drive out of the parking bays and, and you drive with your car into one of the poles, the pole's going to shake. Because your car, which has greater substance and greater power, has driven into that pole. <laughs> your car might shake as well. Um, <clears throat> what's happening here? Why did the building shake? Because God, who is of greater substance and power than the building and than anything, came into contact with that building and it started to shake. But the amazing thing, the amazing thing was the more the building shook, the more unshakable the people in the building became. It was this God coming down and saying, I'm going to shake everything, but you're not going to be shaken. Why? Because that's what the next verse said. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God himself filled them with his unshakable presence and power. Now, this is just a bit of a question that you should be asking. And, and when you want to read scripture intelligently, you're going to have to, have to ask questions like that. If, you know, if you've been reading the book of Acts, you would have read in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And in chapter 4, verse 8, you know, you would have read where Peter is in front of the Sanhedrin and says, And Peter, filled or full of the Holy Spirit, stood up and said, Men and brethren, and starts preaching at them. And here, Peter present in chapter 4, verse 31, the building is shaken and it says, They are all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question How can someone who has already been filled and who is full be filled again? 
Now, obviously, you know, that means that when the, when the book of Acts says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that just before that they were empty. Okay, it doesn't mean that they were empty. Not by a long shot. That's, that's not what, it's, what it means. Because that, that's what we, we, we're tempted to think it implies. They must have been empty in, in order to be filled. No. It says earlier in the book that a few times of Peter that he was, that he was already filled and that he was already full. So, <laughs> how can someone who's already filled and already full be filled more? Well, one way is if you pour out, if, if the Holy Spirit is like a substance that you, that you can pour out, so you become more empty, so that you get your, so you're full, and then you, you sort of get poured out, and you, you get empty, and then you get filled again. If you increase the size of the vessel. What does praying the Word of God do to us? Does, I don't think it empties us. I think it increases our capacity, so that we're actually able to receive more of God. Because there's always more of God to receive in our limited capacity. So, I want to encourage you. That's another very good reason to pray. Because prayer actually increases your capacity. It makes you a vessel with a bigger heart, a bigger capacity to receive God's presence, God's Holy Spirit, God Himself. The God who is so powerful, He causes the earth to shake, can come and take up more residence inside of you receive more of you more space in your life so that when everything else around you is shaken by god's power you will not be and it says and they continue to speak the word of god boldly in other words they prayed and then they obeyed they prayed and then they obeyed pray and obey pray and obey and uh, those two always go together you will not be able to fully obey unless you pray and if you truly pray, you will. It will cause you to obey. And this is the very thing that the Sanhedrin and the leaders of Israel told them they may not do. They say, we forbid you to preach any longer in his name. You know, and, and we're going to flog you. And flogging was like a serious thing. They you know, whipped the skin off their backs. That was serious. And they were afraid. That's why they prayed. And then when they prayed, they had boldness to do the very thing that the Sanhedrin forbid them to do, but which God had commanded them to do. In other words, we must not think that what God has commanded us to do, will not, we will not experience resistance to it. We will experience resistance to it. The world will resist it. Our flesh will resist it. The devil will resist it. And only by praying will we be able to break through that resistance and actually obey what God has told us to do? So in that sense, you can almost say that the habit of prayer is a key to all the other habits. Because when you're prayed, it enables you to obey. The better you pray, the better you will obey. It'll change ultimately everything else in your life too. So, I just want to end off with, with some practical. I'm actually just going to read them from this. If those of you, um, maybe last week you received this. is just the first quarter little booklet that Shana made for us. Thank you, Shana. Um, you can read it. There's a little article on prayer, just two 
pages that, that I wrote. Shana's going to put it up onto the website, on the blog as well. But in that, I just give a few practical tips, which, uh, some of them which I, which I get from Keller's book on prayer. And I just want to read them to you because I think they'll be helpful to you. And I, and I, want, I want this to be practical as well. So, so what, what Keller says he did is he says he went through the Psalms, summarizing each one and praying through them. How wonderful, fully simple, and yet profound, uh, profoundly impactful. As St. Athanasius wrote, most of the scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms also speak for us. And Eugene Peterson notes in his book, Eat the Book, uh, he says, Using the Psalms as a school of prayer, we get a feeling of what is appropriate to say. As we do this, we f- the first thing we realize is that in prayer, Anything goes. Virtually everything human is appropriate as material for prayer. Reflection and observation, fear and anger, guilt and sin, questions and doubts, needs and desires, praise and gratitude, suffering and death. Nothing human is is excluded. The Psalms are an extended refutation of the belief that prayer is being nice before God. That is powerful. You need to get that. The the Psalms are... I mean, if you think about what David and them say to God in the Psalms... (laughs) few of us have the boldness to say those things in those ways to God, right? But if, if, if you think about what they say, then, then Peterson is right. The Psalms are an extended refutation of the belief that prayer is being nice before God. No, prayer is an offering of ourselves just as we are. And then uh, he says the second thing he did is he inserted a time of meditation as a transition between his Bible reading and praying. This is great advice because it links our Bible reading and our prayer. God speaking to us and our speaking to him. It also allows us to effectively do what Bible teacher P.T. Forsyth suggests. What we receive from God in the Bible's message, we return to him with interest in prayer. And then third, he did all he could to pray morning and evening, not just morning. The more regularly and consistently you do something, the more quickly it becomes an established habit in your life. And fourth, he began to pray with greater expectation, with greater faith. Not only does Jesus command us to pray with faith and expectation, but if we do, we are much more likely to notice when he answers that prayer and to thank him for it. So those are four tips. The fifth one is pray together, get a prayer buddy. And the sixth one is start small and do it regularly. And if you do those things, you will develop a healthy habit of prayer in your life. And your future self will thank you for doing so. (laughs) Because your future self will reap the benefits of that. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, that we can just learn wisdom from your word and Lord the, the great thing one of the great absolute great things that we want to learn is to pray to answer you to continue the conversation that you have started to constantly be in dialogue with you oh God we, we are we are tired of being Christians who only pray now and then and when we pray only pray our shopping lists We want to pray in conversation with you. We want to pray scripture. Lord, We so often if if we were in the situation that the apostles were, Peter and John were, we would have come back and asked you to change our circumstances. And they didn't even ask that. They didn't even ask you to change their circumstances. They just asked you to change them, to give them boldness. And Lord, please, through your word, give us the 
wisdom to pray like that. The wisdom to be like you. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to pray. Holy Spirit, Lord Lord Jesus, we pray that, that as the sovereign Lord, sitting at the right hand of the Father, even as you poured out the Holy Spirit then, we pray that you'll pour out your Holy Spirit upon us now. Fill us, Lord, again, like you filled the apostles over and over, deeper and deeper. Fill us, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, please teach us to pray. Please help us to develop that habit of prayer. Lord, we want it to become a knee-jerk reaction in our lives. We want to become it, it to become part of our autopilot. We want to respond to everything, good and bad, prosperity and adversity. We want to respond to it with prayer. We want to be like little children who are constantly running to their mother or father, whatever happens to them, whether they're excited or whether they're traumatized. Lord, Holy Spirit, help us to become such children because we really need to be. We are less in control than we think we are. But the world and the rulers of this world are also less in control than they think they are. And you are more in control than we realize. And therefore we pray to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.